Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation With, the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face-to-face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they have to share about the ever-evolving landscape of financial services. Hello and welcome to In Conversation With. I'm Kimberly Dondo and in today's episode I am joined once again by Jordan Shaharan um, from Canada Life Asset Management. Um, so Jordan, how are you doing? Hi Kimberly, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm doing well. It's uh, been an interesting start to the year. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're broadly kind of um, in, in, in a happier place maybe than we were a year ago when we last spoke. Yeah. So um, talking about that, obviously we have spoken before, but for those who may not have heard that episode, could you give us a reintroduction of yourself and what you do at Canada Life? Of course. Yeah. So my name is Jordan Sriharan. I am a fund manager on the multi-asset team at Canada Life Asset Management. Uh, we run a number of risk-rated strategy, risk profile strategies, I should say, um, as well as some direct um, equity and bond portfolios that focus on on income generation. So, and we can point to examples of, of direct equity and bonds as well. Um, prior to this, I was head of the model portfolio services at Canaccord Genuity um, for about eight years, and um, yeah, have have now moved on to the asset management side and have been here for uh, just over two years now. Okay, great. Um, so looking back at your predictions for 2023, were there any key insights or forecasts that played out as expected? And were there any surprises or unexpected developments? Yeah, it's a, it's a really fair question. And I've actually been looking at all of my forecasts that I wrote down for 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it was a mixed bag. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. And um you know, I, I think it's fair to say some forecasts were, were wrong. And I think at the start of last year, our base case was for a, a mild recession to come along at some point over the course of the year. Yeah. And, you know, and, and quite frankly, that, that that was wrong. And I guess some of that was pre- predicted upon or predicated upon economic growth being weaker, driven by much higher borrowing costs, not just for the consumer, but also for, for, for the corporate. You know, and we had you know, rate rises in effect are going to go up by the quickest in a generation. And and so it was, there was, whilst the mechanism is not as simple as that, um, it did drive a lot of our thinking. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we were wrong. And, and we, can, we can talk about the specifics of what did well and what didn't do well. But I think, there are, you know, I think it's important to be humble and 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 learn from from those um, moments. And we have learned valuable lessons, and I can talk about them as 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 we go on. But and I guess when we think about 2024, we're certainly thinking our base case remains for a mild recession to occur in in um, in, in in the upcoming year. But what we are conscious of is. To not to not have to bet the house on that particular view. It's it's more about what about if we're wrong, then we mm-hmm. don't want to miss on on the opportunity to generate upside in in other in other markets. And I think that's kind of an important part of it. Is it's it's okay to be 
of a bearish disposition and to think that growth is going to weaken. But if you're wrong, you know, you want to make sure in the multi-asset portfolio that you're still able to generate, you know, good upside, good alpha from other ideas. And we've taken that kind of mindset uh, into, into 2024, which is, we still think there's a recession coming. We still think the indicators will all are all pointing to that. And now we can debate about whether the indicators are accurate as they used to be and and all the minutiae amongst that. But we still remain of that mind. But we are conscious that if we're wrong, then we want to have ideas in the portfolio that can generate good upside in the event the growth remains robust and the consumer is still spending and um and and and, and growth is 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 ticking along nicely. I, I guess what surprised us the most when we think about last year is how resilient the consumer was in mm-hmm. twenty twenty three. And we can look at the headlines around the cost of living crisis, and we can look at you know similar um, similar stories in 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 the US about high cost of living and 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 rent higher and and food prices higher. But in, but incredibly, the, but incredibly, the consumer does remain broadly quite resilient and 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 why is that why why have the the non-traditional economic um i don't know what the the, the traditional economic theory would tell us that higher borrowing costs higher financing costs would naturally lead to an an erosion of consumer demand and naturally lead to to lower spending because um people are paying more in rent and in mortgage and corporates are paying more in financing their businesses Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that we learn is that, at least initially, you know, where where uh, the global economy is is not as sensitive to increasing rate hikes as as we perhaps you know would have expected, and that's because I would have thought twelve or thirteen years of QE have have changed habits, changed behaviours, and changed the way businesses and the consumers have financed themselves. And I think, particularly on the consumer side. Uh, you know, mortgage costs being higher. Actually, when we break down who is exposed to to mortgages, that has changed over the last ten years. And if in the UK, for example, there is the one third, one third, one third rule: a third of people have a mortgage, a third don't have a mortgage, and a third rent. Mm-hmm. And so that third that do have a mortgage, um, a good proportion of those are, are on fixed and haven't moved on to floating. And so, I I, I think it. it what one of the things we did learn and what we have kind of become more humble about is accepting the the mechanism by mechanism by which um interest rates impact an economy are are slower than they were before and everything works with a lag we understand that that is in the economic textbooks that's not unexpected but but the size of the lag the magnitude of that time lag is perhaps you know longer than we were giving it credit for um but it's you know i i think QE and even perhaps post-COVID, um, the way in which corporates have financed themselves have changed. And actually, a lot of businesses in the US in particular, we can see lots of examples of this, um, have termed out their debts. So they borrowed for quite a long time in the immediate aftermath of COVID at very low rates and have borrowed for 5, 10, 15 years out. Mm-hmm. And for some of those businesses, their their interest expense ratio has, has fallen because they've taken some of those borrowings back in in 2020-21, put mm-hmm. them in a bank account, a corporate bank account, and they're earning relatively healthy levels of interest on the money they've borrowed while, you know, whilst they put it to work in capital expenditure projects, et cetera. So some of these businesses are actually have able to, to actually play um, the kind of the rate, the rate hiking situation quite well because of their ability to borrow, you know, quite low in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic. So, 
there is there is an element of we you know the way corporates and consumers finance themselves have changed and that's a function of the environment we've been in but also the, the last point i would make and and it's a lot more difficult to 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 understand the ramifications for and understand the structure of because it's a a long a sort of a, a quite a, a wieldy beast but the labor market you know appears to structurally have changed somewhat there seems to be a lower supply of workers and that could be a function of a post-covid world where many retired or at least there's been a the great great resignation and um you know as a result businesses um don't have as big a pool of labor to pick from and that is ensuring that the the unemployment rate has has maintained well hasn't ticked up wage mm-hmm. growth has, has 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 clearly happened you've had real wage growth as well as just nominal wage growth and all this has 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 dropped into the melting pot of a resilient consumer and a resilient global economy um that we think going forward um is more susceptible after a year of of, of where we've been um mm-hmm. but yeah but 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 our predictions for growth you know we would argue have not been as um weak as we we forecast but 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 we talk about this and the reality in 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 markets is that there are more nuances and yeah. we 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 do live in a world of desynchronized economic cycles and i think the world quite rightly from an investment perspective is focused on what the us is doing mm-hmm. and the growth rate you know the, the the gdp numbers at the us are astonishingly strong you know their mm-hmm. q3 number was was you know had a had a forehandle it was it was really impressive but if you look to europe and look to china you know the other sort of masters of um kind of the the, the global economic growth cycle they mm-hmm. they have been struggling and, and, and germany is is in a recession right now china we know has struggled um and, and, and coming down from a high gdp growth rate and so we are fixated and quite rightly so by what's going on in the us but the rest of the world has been struggling and so um whilst some of that might not all be related to um higher interest rates you know the growth story is not is not uniquely positive across the world. It is, you know, it is a, a US story at the moment, and mm-hmm. the and 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 Europe and China have been struggling for for much of twenty three, and so I think it's important to 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 add that geographically, um, economic growth story is not as robust perhaps as the US picture presents it. Right, and kind of sticking with that point. How do you approach managing exposure to mitigate risks in your investment strategies when you're thinking about, you know, other countries that aren't having the growth exposure that the U.S. is having? And what factors do you consider when making such decisions? Yeah, it's an it's an important question. And the the, the, the idea of desynchronized economic cycles has only kind of come to the fore in the last few years because because previously you know it, it would be fair to say that we all ran in a, in, in a small lag to where, where the us was but at this mm-hmm. point you know europe and china have are in not even recovering they're, they're, they're kind of going through the bottom of their their, their growth picture and um that's reflected somewhat in in the inflation story as well that's starting to to, to wane there uh while, while the us we think are still to, to to go into recession in an, in the, in the next six months in the second half of of next year. So how does that how does that build our kind of investment case? 
Well, we have to start thinking about um, where we want to position the portfolio to be more um, attuned to growth in those particular economies. So mm-hmm. if I if I think back to 2024 or I think back to where we want to be today, in the US where we're slightly more reserved about the opportunity for corporates to generate strong profitability where we're where we're where our base cases for recession in the coming year, we are thinking about more interest rate sensitive, more defensive kind of sectors in the US. So mm-hmm. utilities is a perfect example of of a sector in the US, well, sector globally, um, that is sensitive to interest rates. And so as rates come down, they should do quite well. And it is a naturally defensive um segment within um within kind of the, the, the global industries. And so um that for us is a good example of where in the US you might want to be invested in. And and in the similar case, we're looking at both healthcare and staples. They both had quite mm-hmm. difficult 2023s, the earnings of those businesses um, in the consumer staples in the healthcare space, bar bar a few names, the Novo Nordics and and the Eli Lillies that have exposure to to, to GLP one. Um, the rest of that sector is really struggling. You look at Pfizer and Moderna and some of those sort of um, COVID um, names did quite well. Mm-hmm. Without me getting too carried away, my, my my point is in the US we can we can look to be more defensive through our some equity. Um, sector allocation, whereas mm-hmm. in in EM and Asia Pacific, where we are, we, we've been, I'd say, broadly bearish for a while now, maybe a year or two. Mm-hmm. I think knowing that, given given that we have a slightly more positive view on emerging markets in Asia Pacific, it means that we can then tweak that part of the portfolio to have a bit more exposure to what you might call cyclical ideas, ideas that are going to do well as the economy recovers in that part of the world. And that's mm-hmm. how I think we've always thought about allocating within a world of sort of desynchronized economic cycles. It's not a case of we think growth is good, therefore we're going to be overweight equities, or we think growth is bad and therefore we're going to be underweight fixed income. Mm-hmm. Sorry, overweight fixed income. It's more about our understanding where different economies are in their economic cycle, and then thinking about how you want to position not just in equities. And equities is, is a kind of um, less complex view of how you would um, allocate to risk, depending on your view of the economy. But if we think about bonds as well, the US, for all intents and purposes, and I guess it's a global story as well, mm-hmm. quite quite highly likely to have had their last rate hike right? at, at this point you would have and actually the fed have made noises uh, they're more likely to cut rates going forward than they are hiking rates so in 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 that respect we have a bit more confidence on um oh you know being an owner of, of government bonds now in the us where as i mentioned we expect a recession we'd be a bit more cautious on longer duration corporate bonds credit which are more um which we see as kind of more risk risk like assets and so that make, that makes you think about within your fixed income exposure we would like to own treasuries but we might be a bit more discerning about us corporate bonds because of where we think recession is going to play out there and how that's going to impact profitability and how it impacts typically corporate spreads in that particular region so it's 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 about um 
finding the underlying sectors and the underlying credit um, ratings, should we say, in, in mm-hmm. different regions that, that that builds our view on on our overall multi-asset composition. Right. And obviously, long-term investing opportunities often require a forward-looking perspective. Um, so what sectors or trends are currently on your radar for long-term investing and how do you assess their potential? I know that you mentioned a couple earlier. Yeah, so it's funny, actually, because when, when, I, when I think about multi-asset, you know, my view is that the entire portfolio is long term. Everything that we have in there is is built with um, a long term time horizon in mind. And the opportunity to think short term typically comes after more volatile periods. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the reason why and I'm just go back to the reason why I think the multi-asset portfolio is permanently in a state of long term single-mindedness is because the compounding effect of all the assets in our portfolio is a really important part of the return profile. So, you know, you know, the coupon that we get from the bonds in our portfolio are an important part of compounding over time. The dividends we get from the equity company, the, the equities that we invest in, the, the rental income, that the REITs that we invest in, what they generate, that the compounding effect, that income is really important part of our upward sloping return profile mm-hmm. and so and so when, when when we think about short-term ideas and I, when we spoke this time last year it was you know we were three months after the trustonomics and i spoke to you a lot about short-term ideas that we'd implemented immediately after at kind of in a, a, at the end of september start of october middle of october because mm-hmm. there was so much volatility prices had moved um well, I mean, there's a lot of pricing anomalies. You know, the U.S. Treasury market had sold off in sympathy with the gilt market. I don't know if we spoke then. I, th- I think we might have done. Mm-hmm. And we said to ourselves, "What? Why? What? Why is the U.S. Treasury market? Why are yields 30, 40 basis points higher when there's a problem over in 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 London in Westminster with a with a, with a government that hasn't really quite got its you know marbles together?" And so that was an example of where fear and momentum had taken the price of an asset the wrong you know too far in the wrong direction and we were able to allocate a significant size to long data treasuries which did really well over the next three months and actually going into some of, of the new year of, of of last year in 23 and so and i i guess the point i'm trying to make is uh and it's 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 not the sexiest story to suggest that you are being long-term sort of in perpetuity mm-hmm. you are waiting for those those moments that that actually in reality only happen every six every nine every 12 months the lay to think right you know some assets here have repriced you know much lower in the wrong way we think there's value there and we then take a short-term kind of idea and implement it and, and hope to add alpha so i guess so we don't allocate we at this point to to an AI fund or, or AI particular name, and we don't allocate to a clean energy fund or or or, or particularly, particularly in our multi manager space. But mm-hmm. if I think about the diverse monthly income fund, which is our direct equity and bond portfolio, our biggest position is in Microsoft. It's a name we've liked for a long, long time. It has been in our portfolio for the biggest position since inception nearly five years ago now. Yeah, and if I think about 
the exposures of clean energy, we have the likes of um, UK Wind and the Renewables Investment Group. And more recently, we've allocated to Iberdrola, which is a Spanish utility business with a large, uh, with 25% kind of renewables element to their revenue profile. Mm-hmm. And so it's not about, to, 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 to our, from our perspective, we're not thematically trying to buy into a, an idea on day one that has a 10-year time horizon that has a great payoff. It's it's more about, it put in, in our, particularly in our, in our direct portfolios, owning these names that have some exposure that will benefit from the growth in, in longer-term themes, but in a more measured way, if that makes sense, without without allocating um, to these things on a more direct basis. And actually, my experience of some of those thematic ideas over the last five years, let's maybe say a decade, is that they are smaller businesses, small, you know, more mid-cap and, and, and a more of a growth bias. And so you're, you're buying into a particular factor or style when you have a, a long-term investment thematic idea in your portfolio. So it's about balancing, if you want to go down that avenue, you want to balance that off with another part of your portfolio, which is not going to be as synchronized to small cap, mid cap um, equity exposure that has a, you know, high, high P ratio. Um, you, you know, so, so I guess my, my point is without over laboring it is we, we do find ways of accessing these ideas, but mm-hmm. we don't, we don't go through um, specific vehicles like clean energy funds or, or AI funds to, to to extract that we we can find other ways, even through our our underlying fund managers who are who actually in the North American fund we have have been overweight Nvidia, you know, and mm-hmm. so at the forefront of that growth in in AI and the semiconductor sort of chip revolution, our, our underlying managers have had exposure to them, and so we've benefited from that in 2023 without having you know having to buy into a deliberate long-term thematic idea, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you touched on, um, trossonomics and everything that happened, um, in our last, after our last, before our last conversation, even. Um, so we are currently in a year with potential of, um, quite a few major general elections. Um, so, do these geopolitical factors influence your decision-making process um, when it comes to shaping your investment strategy for the coming year? Yeah, it's it's a really fair question. And I, I would say this is an example of where I've learned to become a bit more pragmatic about these things and a bit more humble. Mm-hmm. So if you'd asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have said, politics don't matter. And, mm-hmm. you know, the long-term investor whether it's a Labour government or a Conservative government, it shouldn't really impact the the, the medium-term trajectory of the UK economy. And same in the US, mm-hmm. if you're a Republican or Democrat, you know, in charge, I'm not sure it's it really matters. And, um, and I'm not saying I... I still subscribe to, to, to a lot of that view, but what I'm more sensitive to now is 10 years later, we have... Um, Policy is a lot more polarized at this mm-hmm. point, right? And and so um, you don't really get centre right or centre left governments. You have to have one way or the other, and actually that introduces more risk than I think would have given credit for previously, because a government mm-hmm. takes over, and you know, you know, I think about Tony Blair government in the nineties and so on. You know, the economy ticked on merrily away, right? And whether mm-hmm. they 
did things right or did things wrong. This isn't really the point of 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 this particular um, podcast. It's 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 more that we you know the economy was generally in safe hands if you're a center center right or center left. Mm-hmm. But today, you know, if you look if you look at the US, so this, this is one example of where we have tried to factor in you know when we've looked at investing in the last couple of weeks. So Iberdrola is a good example. Iberdrola has benefited somewhat from the Inflation Reduction Act story in the US, where Biden has, um, as you're sure your or listeners are all aware of, have have, have put out um, a huge um, public policy that's, that's looking to implement more green initiatives in the US. And there's a, there's a large mm-hmm. body of money that, that is supporting that, and it's helped lots of different parts of the infrastructure universe. Situations mm-hmm. uh, to, to tick up there, and and but what's happened with Trump, who, as we know, isn't the biggest believer in in um, well, he 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 he's obviously of the view that um the I don't know how to express this in in in, in, a, in a in a in a way that doesn't sound controversial, but he doesn't believe yeah. that there is um you know that 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 pro- climate that yeah exactly yeah yeah a risk to yes exactly yeah, yeah. so he, he he he's not a believer in in that the, the climate change is occurring and, and he has particularly far right you know ideology around that and so he has come out since then um well he has come out and said he would scrap the inflation reduction act which is the green initiative put forward by the biden administration now mm-hmm. when we looked at ebadrola we asked the question what does that mean for our investment in that particular company if Trump were to be um, elected and if he were to scrap this particular IRA um, policy? Mm-hmm. And we looked at it and we said it's a risk and we we understand it's a risk, but where Eber Dorona is, is a differentiator to its peers, it's quite well geographically diversified. So it mm-hmm. only has a 20% exposure to the US versus Europe versus South America versus um, the rest of the world. And so we took that quite heavily into account when we made the investment because we thought, yes, this might happen, but it, it should impact a name like Ibadrola less than, than others that have benefited you know, quite materially. So mm-hmm. at, at, at the margin, we, 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 we look at how things might play out and we think about what their big policies are that might impact the valuations in in certain industries um much more than we did before and that's an example of what we've done in the last two or three weeks um uh, thinking about if we had a trump government a trump administration what would that mean um for, for, for some of the assets we own um mm-hmm. but yeah that, that that's certainly how uh, so it's, it's an example of how our process has evolved over time to not yeah. To not dismiss the potential for politics to um, negatively impact valuations in, in in some sectors over time, but I mean, if 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 we take the example in the UK, and I'm not going to forecast if it's a Labour or a Conservative government, mm-hmm. but I'd say there's I'd say in that example there is arguably less risk of um, particularly in 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 the way that Keir Starmer and Labour government have let's say becomes slightly more center left than before. I say there's less risk of, you know, certainly a far left Jeremy Corbyn type of government coming in. And so in that respect, you've got less um opportunity for for kind of 
um, asset prices to be to be negatively impacted than say in the US, where a far right Trump administration would, you know, certainly have um, more more uh, the, the greater ability to influence asset prices and some of the names we might have and some of the sectors we might have exposure to. Yeah. Um, and finally, I wanted to ask what advice you might have for investors and um, for financial advisors looking to navigate uncertainty in 2024. Yeah, um, it's a tough one. I, I mean, what, what I would what I would say is, and I, I, I don't want, I wouldn't be fair of me to advise and say you want to own X and you want to own Y because I think that's, I think that's harder today than it was a year ago. But I, but I think my advice would be, and this is what I've learned over the course of last year is well, actually maybe the year before that. And, and the last few years is to, is to embrace pragmatism really when you're running mm-hmm. multi-asset money in particular um, and, and have the humility to accept that you can be wrong and, and also be prepared to act accordingly. And and I think where, and I'm not saying it's, it's a fault of my own, but, but, but where I see perhaps peers go wrong is um, they're very dogmatic in, in their kind of forecast for the future. So I, I think the industry trend is to be noisy about being either very bearish or very mm-hmm. bullish. And you kind of have to be one side or the other in order to one, get attention and be, get get investors to kind of um part their money you know to invest in in your particular fund and you, and so they, they 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 resonate with somebody who's really bearish in the global economy you know where we've got no equities we've got loads of fixed income and we kind of hate you know we're, we're really worried about the world and so if you're worried as well you know invest with us and you have the other side of the argument which is we're very positive on the world and we like equities and we like the US and we like all these things. And and if you're really positive as well, then you should invest with us. And and I don't think multi-asset is as straightforward as that. I, I, mm-hmm. I think there's lots more shades of grey. And the important bit, I think, is about being pragmatic and it's about ensuring that if you're wrong, how are you going to ensure your portfolio still generates good upside in, in the event that you are possibly wrong? Mm-hmm. And so um, that is much more our view on 2024, which is the same as 2023. And I mentioned at the start, our base case is for a recession to occur. And mm-hmm. that's, not, that's not to sound like, you know, um, a broken record. It's more that, you know, my fundamental view of the world hasn't changed in that we still believe that higher rates, despite them potentially coming down this year, is still going to impact with a lag you know, consumer demand for certain sectors and certain products. It's it's it seems not inevitable, but it seems that that is very hard for an economy to 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 nav- navigate. Mm-hmm. But I but I mean, what I'd leave you with is 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 the famous John Maynard Keynes quote, which is when the facts change. You know, I change my mind, and we don't think the facts have materially changed. We do think that. The traditional economic textbook of raise rates equals lower consumer demand <laughs> is is different in different cycles and doesn't work um, works with different lags. And so we're just we're just open to that and and that ideology and that outcome. And so our, my advice would be is it's important to have a base case. It's important to position your portfolio in a way that you think the world is going to be turning. Mm-hmm. But but don't but don't neglect 
other opportunities that have got good upside just because um your base case tells you you can't invest in it and so and 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 to invest in those names or those ideas you have to have conviction you have to do some analysis you have to understand what the valuation is that underpins all that um mm-hmm. don't 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 neglect an idea just because your base case is bullish or bearish it's about in a multi-asset portfolio it's about ensuring that you're generating a stable return profile over time rather than only doing well when times are bad or only doing well when times are good uh, and, and so in, in order to create good longevity in your performance you kind of have to sit in the middle and, and, and navigate which side you lean on you know positive or negative bullish or bearish in the global economy in order to to kind of generate robust risk adjusted returns over over the long term and so my advice to be is you know embrace pragmatism and don't be afraid mm-hmm. to change your mind if if you know if the facts change yeah i'm definitely embracing pragmatism more this year um so that i think is good advice but thank you for speaking to me again jordan and hopefully we can pick this up again in 2025 and see where we're at yeah that'd be great thanks kimberly appreciate your time and happy new year to all your listeners and yourself yeah thank you Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.